elegant weapon for the more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 343. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross, Ross Jedi Jay, and as always, it is so wonderful to have all you beautiful babies back here with me in the L5J studio. This week on the show, once again, something very special from the great Philadelphia Comic Con. I had the honor and privilege of moderating a Black Panther panel. This Black Panther panel consisted of the creative team from 1999 to 2002. There were some fill-in issues, other people jumped on here and there, but uh, most predominantly and consistently uh, during Christopher Priest's writing run from 98 to 03, uh, from 99 to 02, the team consisted of writer Christopher Priest, artist Sal Valudo, inker Bob Allman, as well as uh, the editor himself, the man who had to wrangle this team, Mr. Ruben Diaz, uh, for the first time ever ever this entire creative team was brought together at the great philadelphia comic-con and it was such a special occasion uh just to kick it up a couple notches these gentlemen were joined by mr don mcgregor the legend himself uh don mcgregor helped shape the entire world of wakanda uh, Christopher Priest, he came up with all that cool stuff you know that the movie itself was uh, heavily based on, the Dormelage, all that cool stuff. Uh, Bob Almond, uh, I got to know Bob while working with him as he is the man behind the Inkwell Awards, which I was lucky enough to host at the Great Philadelphia Comic Con as well. Bob is so passionate about this stuff. Uh, he was so excited to have this whole team together for the first time ever at any convention anywhere, and it happened in Philadelphia. So, uh, it's crazy. We've got editor Ruben Diaz, writer Christopher Priest, artist Sal Valudo, inker Bob Almond, and the legend himself, Mr. Don McGregor, all on the stage at the same time for the very first time ever answering your questions and having a chat with me their stories are fantastic if you care about black panther in any way you're going to get a huge kick out of this panel uh they just lay out the history of it all uh and it was so extra special to have tom mcgregor there as well just one little note at one point uh at the hotel party afterwards or in the lobby and i was there with artist jk woodward you may be familiar with him as uh from his star trek work Uh, but jk is a good friend and an awesome dude and we were there sitting on the floor in the lobby cross-legged listening to don mcgregor tell us one of the greatest batman stories never published and uh, it was a very special moment for us but uh, don had a incredibly cool batman story that he tried a few times to get uh, actually made and just didn't come around and to have that experience sitting there we were like wide-eyed kids on christmas just listening to an amazing tale by a legendary man uh, so it was so cool to get to meet all these guys uh and and hear their story hear their black panther tale so uh here we go kids it's a special one uh a live panel from the great philadelphia comic-con featuring the creative team of black panther from 1999 to 2002 
pretty much. Editor, Ruben Diaz. Writer, Christopher Priest. Artist, Sal Valudo. Inker, Bob Almond. And the legend himself, Mr. Don McGregor. Please enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, sitting with me today, heck of a lineup. Mr. Sal Valletto. Am I pronouncing that right? It's Valuto. Valuto. Mr. Christopher Priest. Mr. Don McGregor. Mr. Bob Almond. And Mr. Ruben Diaz. It's been a while since a few of you have been together. We've never been in this type of stuff. Not, now, have you guys yeah, never all been together? I just met him. Oh, so. I thought no. I did a show yeah. last year with Sal in Salt Lake. Yeah, last fall I got to do one show with with Priest at the Terrificon. Met him for the first time, not counting our film premiere, world you know, world premiere in Los Angeles last year. We didn't. We were all together, but I don't know if we said more than a few words because we were in different rows. And if I believe right, these two gentlemen, uh, they missed out the, the whole trail to the after party. I think that's what you guys told us. They were like, what happened, everybody? So I had to do a show with him. So when I saw that he was, he was now doing, getting on the road doing shows, we happened to match up there. And I know, saw, you know Sal and I, he, his home base in Utah, we were able to do a Salt Lake show. So parts of us, like I've done a couple with Don already, parts of us have done shows, but I realized this could be that once in a lifetime opportunity and I had to make sure I did everything I could. If I didn't, no one can say I didn't try. Well, I'm very glad you tried because it's a very honor to have you all sitting here together. I yes. think we're missing the forest for the trees. We've been together in a creative way, which is a very intimate connection that we had. I mean, physically, it's kind of irrelevant, you know? It's been, a, it's been a different experience where creatively you connect. I mean, he's connected with me, I'm connected with Robert, Ruben down there, you know, is the one to make sure that all the connections are active that we are talking to each other creatively. And we're all taking inspiration from Don. I mean, physically, okay, yeah, we're seeing each other for the first time, but compared to the way that we've been together and what we have done together, you know, what we have produced, you know, you see a tree from the fruits. We've done, you know, incredible fruits together, you know, and now it's nice to see him, you know, and they give him a hard Stop time, touching and me. he gives me a hard time, but it, it's okay, but uh, we've been together for a long time. Well, why don't we start there then, uh, Don, with your, how did Black Panther enter your life? How did the Black Panther enter my life? <laughs> as far as, how did the ball, you know, get okay, rolling? But first, before I start that, the reason I'm here right now tonight, today, and this is for all of you, is this gentleman right here, Christopher Priest. Because when we went to the Black Panther premiere, it was the first time I met him. And we were actually sitting very close together. And when the movie was over, and it was, I think, it pretty much an emotional experience for all of us. But one of the things that stands out in my mind and meant so much to me is Christopher telling me how much of that movie he felt was you know, inspired by books that I had done. Uh, and Christopher has never forgotten the history of the character. A lot of times you hear uh, people doing interviews that have worked on the books later on 
and none of those are mentioned. So that Christopher has always had the class to pay, you know, remind people of the earlier books. And I really appreciate it, Christopher. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I said, this is one of the reasons I'm here. I want to do it in public. I want people to know. And he wrote a, a beautiful piece on Facebook or on your blog or wherever it was. All I know is it meant a lot to me. And uh, let's give Christopher a hand. You guys can give him a hand. Okay, now you want to know about the Black Panther, and I got to do this quick because I'm holding up Christopher's time. He's going to start cursing me out. Uh. <laughs> um, very quickly, Marvel's doing a comic called Jungle Action, and they reprinted early 1950s jungle genre stories with all white gods and goddesses saving the natives. And my first job there was as a proofreader of the reprint books. And they would, you know, like, I would see these books and I would say to these guys, I can't believe you're printing this racist material in 1973. Can't you at least put a black character in there? And I wasn't even thinking of the Black Panther. I certainly wasn't auditioning for a, a, you know, a role. And um, when the line started expanding, I was on staff. And the only reason they gave, it's kind of an unwritten rule. There's a lot of unwritten rules in comics. That, but if you were on staff and you were a writer, they had to give you something to write. Right. So then he said, okay, Jungle Action is going to become two-thirds brand new material. It's the Black Panther and he's in Wakanda. That's all I was told. Uh, and then I went off, and they gave me Killraven. But the reason they gave it to me, I found out Steve Gerber told me later on, they gave them to you, Don, because they thought they were going to die. Jungle uh, genre books did not sell in comics. They had just failed with Joe Kubert and Tarzan. Uh, I think they had high hopes for Kill Raven, but it went through three writers and artists in as many issues, and science fiction wasn't noted to sell. Craig Russell was in the doghouse, which is the way he got on the book. Later on, he was so good, they wanted to get him off. <laughs> hey, hey, Craig, get off that stupid Don McGregor book, that little Mickey Mouse rinky-dink thing. I'll get you 10 times the audience. A Craig, God bless him to this day, he said, no, nah, I'm perfectly fine, exactly who I am, and he stayed with me all through the run of the books. I wouldn't come back to Kill Raven without him. Uh, so but that's exactly how I, I got involved with the Black Panther. When the book started, though, however, they hadn't thought it through. In my mind, so it's set in Wakanda. That means everybody in the story is Wakandan, and that means everybody's black. They were not prepared. They had not thought this through, <laughs> and then the fight started. And they only got worse. As By the time I was a year into the books, I, I was called to the office on every single book I did. Every month, it was like, without fail, and then we would close the door. And, but did I love doing the Black Panther? Yes, I did. It's, it's such a strange thing to think of having to go through those obstacles back then and compared to now where the movie has been made, this character has become unbelievably well, I understand iconic. that the Black Panther was not considered an important character to them, to them at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, he's a character they literally, they didn't keep him in Wakanda, they sent him to the United States to become a school teacher in Harlem. Like, why the king of an African nation would, you know, want to teach students in Harlem, I have no idea. Except they wanted to get him into New York. But they took everything that was unique about him, they literally took out. And so that, to me, was, okay, when he comes back, how did Killmonger come about? He came about because 
I said, well, if, if, if Charla comes back to Wakanda and I've got 13 pages every two months, that's all I've got to get an audience. So I thought, the stories think they have to be connected. Other than that, he comes back to Wakanda and every issue there's a new villain. I don't know where they come from because I didn't just want white people always stumbling in so they could steal vibranium again. So I said, it's got to be, and I said, well, he left, he's a king and he left his kingdom. You know, like, what kind of chaos would that cause? And then, then that started the, the creation of Killmonger. However, the character was not accepted by Marvel editorial. After Rich drew the first cover, I was told by editorial, he can't appear on the covers anymore. Wow. I believe, and I don't know, because obviously they never explain those things. Uh, I, they were not used to a black character that was that angry, that ferocious, and was, could be that violent. Right, right. For except, the rest except Luke Cage. <laughs> right? Yeah, but, but Luke Cage gashed people up with spikes, you know, like maim people and slaughter entire. And I, I mean, he, and he tore the Panther up pretty well in that first outing, so. Did any of you guys ever have those similar experiences, having to deal with the book? You know, certain editorial notes that you had to follow that would be difficult to deal with by the time you guys were involved? Well, it, it, it's important. First of all, can, can you guys hear me? Because it's really noisy out there. Okay. Uh, it's important to, to, to remember that, uh, as Don said, that Black Panther was not uh, a character that Marvel cared much about. Uh, the Black Panther did not become commercially viable until uh, a writer named Reginald Hudlin took over the book. And then Reggie uh, went on the uh, Steve Harvey show and other outlets like that. And, and, and Reggie became like a one-man promotional machine that brought thousands of readers into the fold. So the reason why there was a Black Panther film uh, much as I'd like to take some credit for it, or Don would like to take some credit for it, we can't leave Reginald Hudlin out because the character didn't rise and become uh, a, a hot item uh, until he started writing the book. Um, beyond that, the, uh, when, uh, Mr. Diaz at the end here, uh, he was our editor, uh, Sal, Bob. Bob, were you working on ta uh, Justice League no. Task Force? We did, no. no? Bob, uh, Bob was working with Sal on Bloodshot? Bloodshot. Right. Okay. Um, we did just the three issues of Justice League related material. Oh, three issues of Justice League related material. What was the editor? The one, he retired to go freelance. He was the one you were given, getting you work for DC. I don't remember his name. Yeah, brain fart moments. Well, well, you could Sal, just blame it on me. Well, Sal and I were working with, with Ruben at DC before Black Panther. On a, on a right. Justice League Task Force book. Um, and then uh, 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 Ruben transitioned to Marvel and, and you know, so forth. So after the Marvel Knights run, he became the editor on Black Panther. And the only uh, notes that I was getting from the bosses was do something to, to, to fix the sales. We were fighting for our lives every issue. Absolutely. And we tried everything. We, had, we sent the Hulk to a, to a disco, you know. Uh, we, 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 with whatever wacky idea, we did the black exploitation issue with uh, all the, the, the black exploitation characters. Whatever wacky idea we could come up with, we were just desperate to sell the book. And we were always constantly under threat of cancellation. Well, we were calling it Black Panther Team Up for a while because if you really go through the run, there might be one issue that doesn't have some sort of guest star. Right. We're always wheeling in all these different guest stars. 
So uh, for most of my career, uh, the books that I were working on would not become popular until I left. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, our run on Black Panther became incredibly popular about 10 years after I stopped writing it. So I figured my Deathstroke run, I'm writing Deathstroke for DC now, I figured that Deathstroke run will become incredibly popular right around 2030. Um, was this an easy team to wrangle, Ruben? These guys work well together. Did you ever have to get in the middle of any stuff? Yeah, I probably wouldn't have hired them if I did right. have to do any wrangling because I'm rather lazy. <laughs> but uh, as, as Christopher Priest said, I worked, I worked with him on Justice League Task Force. Um, we worked on the Ray, uh, various and sundry other things. And really, I just gave him work because I like to talk to him on the phone. We were, we, were just, uh, we were just talking about how I don't think there's anyone else that I've worked with whom I've had as much fun having conversations with as, uh, as, uh, as, we, as we did, kind of vamping on stuff that even made it into other books that we weren't even working on just because it was a great, uh, great idea or a funny idea. So, uh, so when I got Black Panther from Marvel Knights, um, it was pretty academic that I was going to hire the people that I already enjoyed working with. And uh, I worked with Sal on Justice League Task Force uh, uh, when I was in the uh, JLA office at DC. So it was pretty academic to hire him. I, I, uh, I love the way he drew big, powerful figures. Um, and, and I wanted Black Panther to convey that. You know, I wanted to convey the, the strength of the character. As a character who's, uh, whose abilities are all physical, it was important to have an artist who can really convey uh, the, the superheroic uh, proportions and, and, and physicality uh, the way that, uh, that Sal does. And, uh, and Sal recommend, recommended Bob as his anchor, and Bob was working with Sal on Bloodshot. And uh, Bob just brought something uh, really different to Sal's inks, kind of a, kind of a, a grittiness that, um, that I hadn't seen on his work when we worked at Justice League, which was a lot smoother. And, uh, and so working on Black Panther, I wanted it to have that kind of, you know, that kind of grit that, uh, that he was applying. So once the pieces are in place, really, the uh, sales were, as, as you might have noted, the, the biggest, uh, biggest monthly problem. I mean, every, every month we were, you know, in jeopardy of cancellation, which is both good and bad, right? It's, it's bad because you're like, I don't know how many more issues I have to write, but it's great because you're like, well, now I could just write anything. And what are they going to do? Cancel the book? You're already canceling it. <laughs> um, so, which is what led to a lot of the you know, kooky stuff that we did. Um, ironically, um, it, it must have just been the sign of my office because the other book that I was also curating had exactly the same... Um, plight as Black Panther, and that was Deadpool. So it was kind of funny to work on two books that were monthly uh, in, in uh, Danger of Cancellation, which now are uh, two of Marvel's highest grossing movies. And, it, and actually, it's <laughs> important to add that I wrote Deadpool for, for about a year, year and a half, and then it, you know, and we were struggling every day, and, and, and then Mike March took over from you and fired me because he didn't think I was funny enough, you know. So uh, I got handed my hat, and uh, much like Black Panther, after I stopped writing it, Deadpool became enormously popular. 
Uh, I just want to do some foundational stuff for just a second. How many of you saw the Black Panther movie? Okay, so everybody saw the movie. All right, just to set the stage a little bit, 85% um, of what you saw on the screen was created by Don McGregor. So Stan Lee created the character, but Stan really, he, he didn't write more than five or six Black Panther stories in his, you know, in his career. Uh, most of that infrastructure, the world of Wakanda, the, the most of the inhabitants and, 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 and uh, Black Panther's stepmom and, and Killmonger. And uh, so uh, those characters were created by uh, Mr. McGregor. Uh, Shuri, the, the sister who drives the car, that, that very popular character, that was created by Reginald Hudlin. Uh, I created the Dora Malaje. I created uh, Ross, the insignificant uh, white guy for uh, the, the, uh, the State Department fellow. Um, you know, so, you know, Black Panther has many fathers, uh, but the basic infrastructure uh, of Wakanda was created by Mr. McGregor, and then uh, he passed the torch on to me, and I did my own little spin on it. Uh, and now Mr. ta Coates, who is not here, uh, he's taken it to another level, and uh, Brian Steelfreeze, his artist, uh, the movie, the, the, the characters and the, the costumes and so forth that are uh, the visuals that are in the film were based primarily, I think, on Brian's uh, interpretations or reinterpretations of those characters. So just to give you some foundation about well, what, what we do. And you asked me earlier about the first coming on to the Black Panther. I didn't write a page for like three months. Uh, a lot of, I, in those days, you could read every Black Panther book that, that existed. I was, had just moved to New York, so I didn't have my comics with me, but Jim Solikoff, who was just a kid coming up, that they wanted to kick out of Marvel at the time, uh, loaned me his comics so I could read all the Black Panther books. Uh, and then I started researching everything. Like, the movie has, they have, you know, they have people, costuming people. They have this great woman who just, she's a great, and she can present all these ideas to, to, to uh, Ryan Coogler and say, do you like this, do you like this, maybe we should go this way. And then they get set designers. The comic book people, they, I, they, I got me in my brain and, and, and then talking to Rich Buckler. And thank God for Rich Buckler, because the books could not have existed if Who's it hadn't Rich been Buckler? for Tell Rich Buckler. Tell them who Buckler. Rich Buckler is. Rich Buckler was the artist for the book, and at the time, Rich was a very, very uh, in-demand artist at Marvel. He did many of their covers. They wanted him for the Fantastic Four. I think they wanted him for the Avengers. They did not want him on the Black Panther. And only because Rich and I became friends. Rich got me to move out to the, I, I didn't yet have a place to live in New York City. I was staying with other people. Rich got me a place in the Bronx, so I would be a couple of blocks from him. And every night after I came home from work on staff at Marvel in, in Manhattan, I'd go over to Rich's. One of the reasons why I'm probably divorced Went over to Rich's and we would, I, I would actually pose for him. I would get, you know, get up on the table and go, whoa, oh, whoa. Like, this is the way. This, and, and Rich, thank God, he just, whatever I asked for, Rich would like find a way. Can we turn the page on the side so the waterfall, because by the way, I threw him off that waterfall 40 some years ago. In the first issue, I said to Rich, can we turn the pages on the side so I can get the height for the waterfall? What are you talking about, Don? They're going to give us hell about this show. Yeah, but can we do it? Yeah, we can do it. And thank God for Rich, because he drew the first half year's worth of Panther's Rage with Killmonger. And because of those books, because they weren't reading the books, they were just looking at the artwork. And Rich's artwork was so dynamic. 
that it like it, it wouldn't be until the books came out and everything was like, what the hell is going on here? What, what, Don, you can't, you, we don't want this in here. And when Rich left, because finally he couldn't hold on any longer, I got Billy Graham. And I only got, Billy and I were already right. friends. I used to stay with uh, Billy up in Harlem, up on 143rd and Lenox. And when I was first coming into the city, because I come from a state of Rhode Island, Billy would put me up along with Alex Simmons in Spanish Harlem. I had to come to New York City to find people who understood what I loved. And Billy was like, Billy was just, he truly was a renaissance kind of guy. And like Billy would come in at three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. And he go, hey, hey, Don, get up, we're going out. Billy, it's three o'clock Sunday morning, where are we gonna go? In Rhode Island, believe me, you ain't going anywhere at three o'clock on a Sunday morning. Billy had places to go. I don't know how many of those stories I can share because I now know his granddaughter, and I was going to write about those stories, but I didn't know he had any grandkids. Now I have to revise those. But anyhow, Billy, and thank God for Billy Graham, because Billy just, anything I asked him for, it was never a problem. So I had great artists to work with who were great friends. We were on the phone every day. And one of the things I just wanted, before I even wrote a word, I had to design the maps. Because I said, well, okay, I want to do every jungle genre convention. So that means there's got to be a place where there's snow. And there has to be a place where there's dinosaurs. I still want to see Chala in the mouth of a T-Rex. I believe <laughs> they should have that in Black Panther. Definitely. I think most of you agree. Yes. Chala in the mouth of a T-Rex and hang gliding on a pterodactyl. <laughs> I believe those two things you haven't seen, and you don't know it, but you really want to see them. It's very comforting to hear writers talk in these terms about their artists and uh, the way you know, they've been impacted by that collaboration oh, yes. as an artist. And Bob can uh, uh, testify to that, too. We've been impacted by the collaboration with our uh, writers, okay? One thing that the public probably does not know is that Christopher Priest wrote Black Panther for me. He wrote the script for me with the notes that were addressed to me, okay? And in order for me then to convey that to the readers. But that kind of collaboration, that kind of uh, um, creative juice, you know, only happens when there's this kind of synergy. Right. One other thing that is important to know that, you know, would be bad if these guys go home and don't know. <clears throat> You've seen the you know the Black Panther, you know, Black Panther is important now because of the movie. You know, everybody's talking about. You know, 17 years ago when we were doing this, when we finished doing this, you know, nobody cared. By the same token, you heard the, the expression, you know, you get a lemon, you make lemonade. We made a lot of lemonade oh, yes. with, with the fact that we've been handed a lemon. Ruben can, is nodding. Uh, Bob is nodding. Priest already testified to that before. Um, that freedom that we had, both from the standpoint of writing and from the standpoint of the images, you know, gave us the, the opportunities to create 
something that was received in an incredible way by the readers. Now, Ruben was talking about me doing, you know, the muscular types and all of that. I, I was really trying to convey the idea of Black Panther as an iconic king. Um, a lot of people have seen Black Panther with the, with the, uh, the cape, you know? And yes, we were, we were spoofing Batman, but that cape was also a mantle. The mantle is a symbol of a king, of a, his authority. I created a, 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 a collar with, with the medallion with the African symbols uh, called the Adinkarine, which are symbols from Central Africa, which symbolize the chief. That, that it was the, the idea of Black Panther. Now, in the movie, we've seen the young king. In our comic book, we have the older king, the, the, the strategic king, the Machiavellian king. The, the, the series was successful because with words and images, we made it look um, big uh, in, uh, in scope and in importance. All these characters, you know, uh, Black Panther was uh, outsmarting the, the Submariner. It was uh, outsmarting right, Tony right. Stark. Uh, it was outsmarting all these other, you know, uh, kings of, of the Marvel Universe. And uh, coming out with the new image, it wasn't the, the black guy in the, in the background <laughs> of the Avengers. No, now anymore. I'm the black guy in the background. <laughs> and, uh, Careful about that. I don't, then, think, then you have, turn, I don't think you could turn, ever be that. You turn the other way. So, you guys need to know this. We made lemonade out of a lemon, and we gave Black Panther the stature of a king that he deserves, that you haven't seen yet in the movie. Hopefully, you know, Don wants to see the dinosaur. I want to see Black Panther, the mature king, the once and future king. Can I, can so, I just interject because I've been, I have things to follow up on very briefly before you can right. follow up with him. Number one, I don't think anyone ever touched the dinosaur aspect of Wakanda. I don't think, even though it's explained in the handbooks that these, they're like mutations from the vibranium that caused it to come about, I think that was just too out there for a lot of writers. I mean, ever since, no one has used the dinosaurs. Wait a minute, you could do Baron Macabre, but you couldn't do... Well, I guess, I can't explain you it. But you couldn't do dinosaurs? I don't know, I'm uh, not defending it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people don't realize the, how precarious it was to get the three of us on the title. Before the Marvel Knights run ended with 12, I had met up with Joe Quesada at a small convention. Uh, anyone from New York might remember in the 90s, the Ramapo High School Comic Cons, and... They were, they were there just getting started with Marvel Knights their first year, and I, I was pushing Sal and myself, who had established ourselves as a popular team. And, you know, Sal got all kinds of praise for his Justice League Task Force work. As he put it, you know, I'm a huge fan, but no such luck getting any work. And it, it was clear that that looked like a dead end.
but nobody expected when they ended Marvel Knights with 12 that the book would continue as a Marvel Universe book and Ruben Diaz for only five issues would be on the run. Holy cow. In fact, the fifth issue, I think, with Brevert's office kind of still transitioned over. But if it wasn't for that, with his earlier work with these gentlemen, this would have never come by, you know, united us. So keep it's amazing how one good thing from one side of the street can lead to something amazing even on the well, other side of the street. And right? I want to point out, mentioning Batman, uh, I know that's been their dream, everybody's dream to do Batman, and that's why a lot of that was there. But be aware, those of you that read Batman, all of these contingency plans that T'Challa had, preparing for everything, that was done by him first. I've been told repeatedly how Batman started having his own protocols for the JLA members and all that. Just that pissed me off so much, dude. <laughs> I was like, he originated that. Okay. Yeah, Ross is going through the Black Panther's desk, and he finds this folio that's Black Panther's contingency plan in case Galactus attacks. He's got a plan for that. I think the conversation really was out of like, why wouldn't he have a plan to stop everything? Yeah, but like, it was Black a joke. But Ruben, it was a joke. You and I, we, we, well, were just, we were just doing whatever came into our stupid little heads. Right. You know? But that was great to see it validated, you know, to see it validated later in the pages of Batman. So it's like, okay, yeah, we kind of stole your cape, but you stole our contingency plan. Galactus beat him, Batman. Just a case. That's amazing. Now, I, I think... Uh, just to add, I'm sorry, did Just you have to more? relate to that, I mean, you constantly hear about the fact that Reggie got Storm and T'Challa married. They get, they get you know, it's, it's, they're due for that, that credit. But people don't realize that would probably not have happened if we didn't, after the 20-year gap since Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Bob McLeod did that backup throwaway story of Marvel Team Up 100 showing them as children. Yeah, but it was also wrong. The whole point of our story, the story, we did a story about T'Challa and Storm uh, and their history together. We did a story arc about it. And the whole point of that arc was, the re was to explain why these two people will never get married. That was the whole point of it. But they, were, they, they obviously had this intimacy, but, you know, and that's the second time that Marvel screwed me because I did that with Mary Jane and Peter Parker in a comic book called Spider-Man vs. Wolverine where the, the, the B story, the A story is Spider-Man and Wolverine fighting, or who cares? Okay, but the B story was Mary Jane and Peter Parker and me explaining why these two people should never get married. And Marvel used that story as an excuse to get, to get them married. You know, uh, and just like with us and Storm, they used that story that was a beautiful little story uh, uh, that, that explains why these two people should never get married. And Reggie came along and said, Let's get them married. The Marvel said, okay. And I went, you guys have no clue what you're doing. But that, the thing that, Sorry, I just have to mention, because that Spider-Man versus Wolverine, that was an amazing book. It really was. I remember reading that and just being like, this is the coolest thing ever. It's and they never let us do it again. I, I've pitched the Spider-Man Wolverine 2 about three or four times. Oh, really? And every time, Marvel goes, yeah. We sold a bunch of those, let me tell you. We oh, showed yeah. a truck. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was... It was in the day before you had these, these cross, before these kind of crossovers were routine. You know, you know nowadays, who cares? Spider-Man versus Wolverine. Oh, it was a big deal but, back but then. But back then, yeah, it was, it was exciting. a huge, it yeah. was, a, it was a, like a triple-sized book. It was like $2.50. It was a very expensive book. 
And Marvel just laughed all the way to the bank on that one. Right, right. And they never let me do it again. Oh, it's crazy weird. It's a black thing, I tell you. Yes. Okay. Ask a question to uh, Bob. It will give you a very good answer uh, about this. When we, when we went to the movie premiere, we had the chance to meet a lot of the actors. That must have been and cool. Including you Bob. had a chance to meet them. <laughs> we couldn't find it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, we I'm met, sorry. what's his name, uh, Bob? Remind me, the, the, the actor that does Mumbaku. Oh, Bob? Baku. Oh, the oh, actor sorry. does Mumbaku. Okay. Uh, yo, you got me off guard here. Uh, Winston Duke. Yes. Winston Duke. Now, Bob explained to Winston that it was his fault, Bob's fault, that he was in the movie because <laughs> he was pestering Priest about putting him in, uh, in the storyline. No. I was a pain in the ass about and, it. And you can imagine how I had to deal with it. Like, so we're going to put the guy who you? dresses up like an ape on a dude. Was that you who tried to get Man-Ape in the comic book or something? It was me. That was you. What happened was, now that we had handled Killmonger, and, and coincidentally, it was like 12 chapters, I think about as long as your jungle action, you were just doing it longer because of the bi-monthly status. But, but anyway, we had ha handled Claw. Go ahead. We had handled Claw. You, you know, it was after they used him in Captain America, but... I was, uh, I was on the Black Panther message boards with the, with the public, with the fans, and they wanted to see the third the, the part of that, nem of Panther's nemesis, and that left Mabaku the Manny. Priest wanted none of that. No, it's like man period eight. Enough said. Hyphenated. Um, excuse me. He's a writer, that's why. I don't remember these things, but... You'd never get me to do it, Bob. Well, because when, when, <laughs> when be Manic was introduced in Avengers, I mean, it was a great story. But over time, this character became this big, goofy, dumb, strong guy. Yeah. It, it was like people who would just see him in a book would have no idea about these roots in Wakanda and what, you know, why he's here. Um, but the for, for those of you who don't read the comic book, we're talking about Mbaku in the film. Yeah, I you know, I'm with, with, you, with the with the gorilla tribe, the Jabari, and you know, and they do the step dance. Woo, woo, those guys, you know. Thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, Don had established the uh, what was it? The land of uh, we talked about this the other day. The chilling mist. Yeah, the chilling mist. And the reference with with white man ape in the Mbaku in the past had been about the white gorilla cult. It was priests who decided to name them Jabari. Uh, he after my friend Jabari Taylor. He, w after we pestered him, and after we were saying how Sal can give him this really cool design to make him credible, um, he relented because he just wanted want to get me out of this. Uh, stop here and listen from, to me. And he added all that for something that he had no interest in doing. In fact, when I was with. Uh, priest at Terrificon last fall, he was telling me, I didn't even know I wrote that character. Yeah. He'd forgotten all about it. I think he purged it from his memory bank. Okay, I, I got to jump in here. I got to jump in here. So they're, they're, they're putting together the Panther film, and this is about a year or two before the film debuted. And I get a call uh, from, uh, from Nate uh, uh, Moore, the uh, executive producer, and he's, uh, I'm consulting on the film, and he's asking me 
about uh, ideas for the film and what do you th where do you think the film should go? And, uh, and Nate says, well, uh, we're kind of thinking about using Man-Ape. And I said, excuse me? He said, we're thinking about Man-Ape. And I was like, I'm sorry, did you say Man-Ape? And he goes, yeah, Man-Ape. There's a character named Man-Ape? And he goes, yeah, you wrote him. I wrote a character named Man-Ape? You know, and I had to go and go through my files. I had forgotten all about it. And I found the issue with, with Man-Ape. And I went, holy crap, I did write the, a character named... I had forgotten about him completely. It was the major, the That's third, great. like, final arc. That was a major part of that run. I'm an old man. I'm an old man. You know, but that's how he ended up in the film. I, 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 I was disavowed. I had no idea what, what Nate was talking about, but they, they loved. And then they did such a great job in the film where M'Baku just became like he started to steal the movie. He was just brilliant in that, that film. It was amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. We even had at the conclusion of our run on our last issue, there was this incredible battle between all these armies, you know, facing each other and hundreds of you know, drawings there, you know, uh, in, in which Mombaku was, was part, you know, and that was uh, one of the things that I expected to see in the movie, uh, which didn't happen, you know, especially, I you know, mentioned the, that to you Avengers, when they were all getting together, the like, Avengers this is the evocative thing, you know? of that scene, yeah. which, by the way, for a legacy, a tribute thing, not in the script, I pestered Sal, I did a lot of pestering, I pestered Sal, I says, we gotta throw Venom in there. The original Venom, not the guy with the big tongue and teeth. The Venom that he created, that hasn't been used since your run, your classic run. I said he Probably would- Probably because the character was gay. The, well, and if I had come out with that in those original books, because I, I did exactly the same thing I did with Camilla Frost and Mishula in Killraven, leading up to the first interracial kiss at Marvel Comics. I had Venom and Taku, who were gay, right. I, every issue they had a scene, but I knew if I went there, I, my, my tenure at Marvel Comics would have been shorter than, than it was. I mean, that would have been the last book. Well, In 1973, 74, there was no way. I had it there, so if I saw an opening, I was gonna get yeah. in there and get it. But uh, there's no sense of writing something if you know the, the audience will never see it. Well, no one ever saw the character again, but I remembered that he was, by the end of the story, an ally of T'Challa and company. So... Yeah, the, I think the CIA is using him, like, plants some... Oh, uh, them, yeah. Uh, <laughs> bug into, into the snake. That, that doesn't matter. <laughs> well, but, uh, the, uh, yeah. by having all of Wakanda's allies and such in going to war, I was like, we've got to throw that in there. And I, I'm sure we lost a lot of people. Like, who's the guy with all the snakes? But... I think he did a brilliant job adapting that, but again, that was another, that was another, I had to throw Luke McGregorisms in there every once in a while. Well, uh, I'm afraid, gentlemen, well, that can, we've- can I, can I tell one quick story? Absolutely. Can I have time for that? Yep, yep. Because Christopher Priest and I are going to be tired again, because I, Christopher Priest is going to be doing Vampirella. I don't know if any of you know that, but it's, it's common knowledge, right? Yeah. Okay, so, it, yeah. years ago, when Vampy was a, first being done as a series, in the 70s, and this is before the Black, well, I was doing the Black Panther and before I was at Marvel. Um, Archie Goodwin was writing the Vampirella series. I don't know that Archie created the character. I don't think he did, but all the origin, all the origin Trina, stuff. Trina Robbins designed the look, I yeah, believe. Yeah. I, Everybody and, thinks it was Frank Fizetta because of the cover. And there might have even been, you know, some kind of short story done with her. I'm not sure of that. I don't remember. 
I do know that um, when Archie left Warren, um, Jim Warren came to me and said, you're going to write Vampirella. And this is the only time I ever did that. I mean, I went through every issue that, that Archie did, anything that had information about Vampy. I would put, you know, I, I actually made a notebook and I, I pasted the stuff in so that I would always can go back to the history and go, okay, this is, she's from this planet and the, and the rules of this. And, the, and you know, I had all that prepared and I wrote this story called Lighthouse of the Possessed. And it was taking place in Maine and all the fog and it was about politics. And I had a politician that he, he had a campaign slogan no chicanery with mannery. Now this goes to show you like how editors can be very subjective, everything can be very arbitrary. Using that slogan, the, a new editor would come in and said, you cannot use the, name, the word chicanery. And I said, why not? Because the audience doesn't know what it means. So I don't want you using it. So I didn't use it in the script, but in the instructions to Tom Sutton, like I had Vampy and, and another character walking through the fog and up on the wall there was a poster and they were walking by a poster that says no chicanery with Mannery and then maybe Tom would draw some of it maybe it wouldn't maybe a part of it would be there I get, a, I get an emergency phone call Rick said I'm talking to somebody else on the phone and I'm in the state of Rhode Island at the time and it's Jim Warren Jim Warren's getting me into I thought something happened to Billy so I, I get to get off the phone and it's Jim Warren saying Don I gotta fire you I'll fire you off of Vampirella what are you talking about? I, I, I just can't. Yeah, well, you know, you got J.R. Cochran all bent out of shape. You used the word chicanery. Well, I, well, no, I didn't. I mean, I, I, I put it on a poster in the, in the background. They might, he said, that's it, Don. You didn't obey the editor. You're done. Your history. Now, you, people could judge whether that story was any good or not because when I went over to Vampire Tales and did Morbius the Living Vampire, suddenly Vampy became... Morbius, the living vampire. The exact same scene of them walking down the street, except now it's Morbius, it's not Vampy. And it's, so, you know, this, I, whoever the major, other major, like there was a, a political idealist who's gonna get his brains blown out by the end of the story. Johnny Romita goes, do, do we have to blow so many brains out down? I mean, literally, I said, yeah, this really, I wanna shock the audience. When this kid gets it, and he's so idealistic, I, I, I wanted to splat it all. <laughs> and that's how, that's how Vampirella became Morbius, the living vampire. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen, for all your tales. Thank you for your contributions to the comic book medium, to storytelling in general. Uh, obviously, with the way things have gone in the past few years, you guys have had a huge hand in influencing what has become a hugely culturally important uh, piece of art. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody appreciates everything you guys have done uh, for Black Panther and more. So, ladies and gentlemen, Sal Valudo, Christopher Priest, Don McGregor, Bob Alman, and Ru Ruben Diaz. Thank you. Thank you.